out. From the night, from the mist, steps the figure. No one really knows his name for sure. He stands at six foot six, head and shoulders. Gray, he never comes knocking at your door. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's the show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 188. And our movie this week is Repo, the Genetic Opera. And here to talk with me about it, the wicked old one always getting into trouble, the Dreadlord. Oh no, that's me! That was surprising. Hi. The... The endearing and a fear and if uh wicked kitten. Hi. <laughs> and Phelan, how you doing? Hi hi. Y'all gotta learn how to improv, man. Roll with it. Doing a bit. I was gotta roll fun. with it. You were <laughs> you were fun. you were having fun. <laughs> so okay. We are watching Repo the Genetic Opera. Now, I had not seen this movie before. Faye, you had. Many times. Love so, it. yeah, g- give us your history on this movie. What you When you saw it for the first time, what you know about it, that kind of stuff. Um, honestly, I don't remember where I heard about it, but I came across it probably on the internet uh, about a new movie with Anthony Stewart head in it and singing. So it was, I was like, I'm down because I loved... I loved Anthony Stewart head as Giles in Buffy mm-hmm. and the once more with feeling episode. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that's my favorite. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> I don't but, think there's yeah. anything to be sorry about. I know a lot of people that say that. <laughs> um, so I was, as soon as I heard about it, I waited for the DVD because the, it was a limited release uh, for in theaters. So mm-hmm. I had to wait for the DVD and, uh, the day that uh, it came out, I went and grabbed the DVD. I still have it, and I still cherish it. And um, I don't. Do you remember Jesse? Yes. From more, yeah. So actually, I forced him and Naomi and everybody to watch it with watch it together as a group. <laughs> and Naomi right. and I loved it. Everybody else was kind of. Eh. <laughs> so. All right. So you have you have a bit of a background with it, and you like this movie. It, it does have a cult oh, yeah. classic status for sure. Mm-hmm. Came out in two thousand eight. Monica, what is your history with Repo the Genetic Opera, if any? Uh, let's see. Uh, Faye mentioned the movie, and you said we were going to watch it for the show. Okay. And then I watched it for the first time. So you hadn't heard of this one before, even? No, I, I actually confused it. For some reason, I confused it with this other movie called, I think it was Freaked, with uh, Alex Winter. Oh, yeah, actually, which I've covered on this show. Um, for some reason, and... I don't know why. I think it's it's just a picture in my mind of the two movies. <laughs> like, somehow, it has they have nothing to do with each other. But No, they, they don't, and they're, they're like 15 years apart in terms of when they came out, even. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's okay. I conflated this movie with another movie I'll talk about in a minute. But Dread, had you were you familiar with this movie at all? Um, had you seen it before? Anything? Um, well, I can tell you exactly when I heard of this movie, and that was when Faye mentioned it ages ago. Uh, some random thing she mentioned that we could watch, but we kept it for, for this eventually. So the first time mm. I watched it was now for this show. Okay. So that's three of us watching it for the first time because this was also my first viewing of it. However, I had heard of it before, um, either in like falling down the IMDb rabbit hole and, and probably going through like, uh, I, it was probably Anthony Head was, was how I ended up at Repo. However, I had conflated this with another movie that came out in 20, 2009 called Repo Men, which is also about genetic... Uh, um, re- uh, Repo Men, but starring Jude Law. So as I'm watching the movie this week, I was probably an hour into it, and I'm like, why hasn't Jude Law shown up yet? <laughs> why haven't I seen him? I'm pretty sure he was the star of this movie. Wasn't she and then I realized, in that as well? 
Uh, no, but I think Forrest Whitaker was. Okay. I um, can see how you get those two people confused. But like <laughs> Jude, Jude Law, like I knew Jude Law was in a movie about, uh, you know, in a future where you could get organ transplants, but then they could get repossessed. That's so I knew that. And for some reason, my brain put those two movies together. They don't. Re- I did research a little bit. They don't. Other than both being the same basic premise, they have nothing in common. And they just sort of. Uh, this Repo the Genetic Opera began life somewhere around 99 uh, as, a, as an idea and was first put to paper and on stage in like 2002 before a few years later getting like a 10-minute short film made and then it became the full movie. Repo Men, for the most part, came about in 2008, 2009, but it was based off of a story that was originally published in like 97 is where they can trace that to, but there's no real cross pollination. There's nothing like they read this and then, and went in this direction. It was kind of, it's actually a very similar to, um, and I don't know how many people know this Dennis, the menace comic. There were two comic strips that debuted on the same day named Dennis, the menace, one in the United States and one in the United kingdom. Uh, and they had nothing to do with each other. And it was just complete coincidence that two cartoonists made the same named comic strip on the same day on two different sides of the Atlantic in like 1951. And it's sort of like what happened here. There was two movies or two stories kind of along that had the same genesis, but then went in wildly different directions. So it's kind of one of those things where I just I just had this in my head like, yeah, Jude Law is in Repo the Genetic Opera. Nope, not him at all. Not not any not even close. Um, yeah, I'd say but yeah, this, this was a little more dystopian, <laughs> a little more well, gothic dystopian. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to, I, I, we already know what Faye thinks of the movie. She loves it. I've seen it many, many times. Um, so what I'm curious, Faye, is in terms of, now this is not a horror musical, right? Because it is an opera. Everything in this mm-hmm. movie is sung, um, yep. which I have thoughts on. I will get to in a minute, but <laughs> If you are going to kind of lump this in with other horror musicals and things like that, where would you put this? Uh, does it have the the nostalgia factor of something like a um, Rocky Horror for you or anything like that? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's the music for me. I mean, just like with Rocky Horror, it's the music, although there is more of it in here. And there is more, as you said, everything is sung whether it's mm-hmm. actually a heavy song or if it's just sing-songy. Um, I forget mm-hmm. the actual operatic term. I know there's a couple of different ones. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's the coming of age for Shiloh. That's what I latched on to. The coming of age, the the songbird that's trapped in the, in the cage and wants to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of had a lot of the same type of feelings growing up being moved from everywhere uh, because of being a military brat. And I never got to get out and do things on my own because anytime I tried to make any friends or do any projects or join anything extracurricular in school, we moved. Yeah, (laughs) that would be tough. All right. Uh, Dread. What did you think of it as a, uh, as a movie, as a, as a first time movie experience what do, you, what do you got? As I mentioned last year, and encore, uh, musicals are not really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping that in mind, uh, this movie I found very amusing and good. Surprise! I, I like the music a lot, uh, like more industrial feeling to it. Uh, it reminded me a lot of different bands and, and stuff. So I was like wondering all the... I didn't look at stuff before. I just watched the movie first. I was wondering mm-hmm. if there was a band involved, you know, like sometimes like yeah. Nine Inch Nails and stuff. Uh, they like doing things. Uh, but apparently not. No. So good on them. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly um Terrence Zadunich 
and uh, and his writing partner, um, and then the director Darren Lynn Bousman. We'll get to them in a little bit. But uh, Monica, what did you think of it as a movie? Did you enjoy it? Um, I also am not a, uh, a musical person, mm-hmm. but and and at first I can say I wasn't uh, I wasn't getting into it right away. But um, yeah, I, I I quickly started to uh, really like it. Yeah. I had a, a really great time. It was, he was like, Dredd was saying bands and I mentioned Nightwish. Like it's got a very, a very interesting sound. It's not exactly them, but when the, when the uh, blind Meg, when she comes out, like that's all I could think of is just that powerful voice and mm-hmm. just the, the elements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The elements of like the you know dystopian for future and um, just like it was like a, a darker, more twisted, Blade Runnery type thing, and it was, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. The okay. look of the world, the feel, <laughs> and I ignored it does, some of the singing. <laughs> it, it does have a very distinct look to it, um, which I did appreciate. I liked the production design of things. The costuming was unique and a lot of fun. Um, I thought it was okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Uh, it's certainly not something like it's something that I would in the right situation watch again, but I didn't love it the way that I uh, really in, like can latch on to something like Rocky Horror or uh, Anna and the Apocalypse was a, a horror musical that we watched um, a while back and uh, and I had a lot more fun with that. I think for me, what hurt this movie from being something that I could really like really get into was it was an overstuffed plot. There was so many plots and subplots and it's too much. Like one of the things that makes Rocky Horror Picture Show work so well is it's such a streamlined, simple, dumb thing. Like there's no explanation to anything. It's just random people show up at a house in the middle of the night and the people inside the house, a little weird. And some weird shit's going on and they have to navigate that. They're trying to create a, a guy out of whatever and like they just don't explain anything and they move on. And this movie was like, no, no, no we're going to we're going to explain it. We're going to explain it all. Mm-hmm. We're going to give it in great detail. And on top of we're going to have like this plot and then another plot and another storyline and this one, and they're sort of going to interweave, but not really. And I just felt like it was overstuffed. Like I didn't need, I didn't need both uh, Nathan and his daughter and that plot. Plus the guy running the corporation and his kids and them being interwoven with like, he was dating the mom before the mom left him for reasons to go be with the other guy. And then he's, helps to stage her death or kill her or something. It was just, it was too much and too complicated for me. Like trim it down, get, make it simpler, especially in an hour and a half long opera where everything's being sung. So there's a lot of exposition that has to get out in this, in this singing. And that's not an easy thing to do. So for me that I see that. it's still enjoyable. Yeah. It's enjoyable, but it just needed to be like streamlined. Now I did, do a little deep dive onto Terrence Zadunich and some of his and and some of his other stuff with um, uh, what is it? The Devil's, um, Devil's Carnival. Carnival, and then the sequel to that, and what he's doing now. And it seems like he's helped to refine uh, his writing a little bit. Is the music too for me? A a musical or a musical based movie should have at least one song that is that hook that you remember. I honestly don't remember much of the music of this. Like it doesn't, it didn't stick with me because it nothing, there wasn't, there wasn't that one aria, that one song that sort of was like, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a time warp. There wasn't a, uh, like that one piece for me, the music was very kind of oddly disjointed in some ways. And I again, that feels like something. A glass file. <laughs> That's, That's one line. It's it's a single line, but even that that song itself is just that repeated. It's not really like I don't know. I don't know how to explain it exactly. I did uh, watch a breakdown of the music um, by somebody who's much 
much smarter about music than I am, who, who kind of was able to put into words what I was feeling while I was watching it. I just felt this weird disconnect with the music. And I don't know why exactly, but it just never felt like it, it hit a stride that was consistent. It always felt like something was just off. And so it was hard for me to get into. And it being an opera, there's no like, there's no break from that. <laughs> there's no point where you can be like, okay, we got a couple minutes of dialogue and some acting and then I can get ready for the next song. It was just a constant uh, barrage of music. So again, I didn't dislike it, but I feel like it was, it was trying really hard to be the Rocky Horror Picture Show and become a cult classic, like on purpose. Whereas something like, um, I don't know, it felt like it was trying to be that as opposed to just sort of becoming that, if that makes any sense. I understand. Um, I kind of of like the, it was was different because it definitely wasn't like a straight up musical, like you said, like not, mm -hmm. no breaks in the middle and everything was kind of sung. So like that threw me at first. But then it was like, it was so off-putting that I started to like it for some reason. Like, it was this weird, I don't know, feeling. And, and that's a, like, think about it, that's even more singing than, than a regular mm-hmm. musical. And I ended up, like, I don't know. I well, can't explain it. And, but it was and I think I think the thing is, is like, there is a definite love for this material and a joy that's going on in making it that comes through the screen. Um, and, and I got that hundred percent, like everybody on screen involved in it, uh, are giving good performances and they're, they're going all out and they're really having, you can tell they're having a good time. It just felt, I don't want to say try hard because I feel like that's just really negative and that's not, but it felt like it was trying to be a thing instead of just being that thing. And then, because the movie did not uh, review well, but it also didn't do well commercially because it was only put out in like seven theaters uh, on its initial run. So it made like $100,000 maybe on an $8.5 million budget. Um, but I feel like if it had either gotten a wide release or just gone straight to DVD, like it would have felt more authentic. I don't know. I don't know how to how to articulate exactly what I felt while I was watching it, but I didn't, I didn't latch onto it like I do a lot of other stuff even musicals, which aren't normally something that I necessarily go for either, but I appreciate really good ones. I mean, when I saw Moulin Rouge for the first time, I was blown away by how much I enjoyed watching Moulin Rouge, but there was something to the structure of that that felt better than this did. This feels like a a first movie, even though the director had already done three Saw movies by this point, um, on top of other stuff that he had done. So... it is. It isn't as smooth. It is very jagged, but that's part of the feel that I liked. It. That I mean, mm-hmm. especially with the aesthetic that they were going for the the gothic, mm-hmm. uh, dystopian. Um, I mean, it's fully my aesthetic. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, so I I really loved it, and their outfits, the costuming, gorgeous especially Shiloh's all of her outfits. I would love to have, um, especially that rocking I mean, one. That's like the sides are cut out. Like, Oh my God, well, I love that. Yeah. That was pure eighties. <laughs> <laughs> that was pure eighties. Joan Jett. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of Joan Jett, she has a cameo in it. And that, I love that. When I saw Joan, I'm like, is that, Oh, sh- okay, uh-huh. cool. Like that was a cool it's, little cameo. The, it's you, the, I wanted to yeah. say that when you talked about bands, <laughs> it's like, there was somebody there. <laughs> and, and look, the cast of this is pretty incredible. Really? I mean, Paul Sorvino uh, is great. And Paul Sorvino has a hell of a singing voice, by the way, mm-hmm. when he's not just yeah. doing like the, Oh my God. Um, yeah. I was kind worried of in the beginning. Cause the first <laughs> couple of times you see him, he's just hawking in a singing way. He's not singing. So, he's like, you know, yeah, I'm like, that's oh, a, he can't sing. And then he's suddenly just like, oh, okay. So <laughs> okay. that, that one video that, that I hit. Oh yeah. Right the video that I, the, the video that I mentioned, it's, it's long. It's a YouTube video, but it's like an hour and 15 minutes long. And there's a huge, there's a ton of breakdown to it, but she mentions the different opera styles and, and what goes on there. And that, that is an operatic style where it's essentially spoken word, but there is um, a rhythm to it 
that makes it essentially it makes it singing um but it is very like speaky and i was like you i was kind of worried that that would be all that he would do in it um but yeah when he especially in the car he belted out a, a note and i was like oh okay okay paulie paulie can sing um i already knew anthony head could sing so yeah. that didn't surprise me and he he is easily the best thing in this movie is anthony yep. head uh, in fact, I think he's underused in the movie. The The storyline should have cut out all the crap with the kids and uh, inheriting the, the, co- the company. Just get rid of all that. We don't need that because that's the overstuffed thing. Like, I'm more interested in what's going on with the character of Nathan, his daughter, and uh, because that becomes a huge reveal at the end I want to talk about in a minute. But, like, it kind of hurts, too, in a way. But But just more more of that and like him being the repo man and being forced into being the repo man was was a big thing and he was great um alexa vega as shiloh was really good um she looked the part even though she was probably about 20 21 when they made this i think 20 somewhere around there um it came out yeah i looked she turned 20 when it came out okay so it's probably 19 when filming um and the dynamic, the the chemistry between her and Anthony uh, Head uh, in terms of like father-daughter stuff was really good, I thought. Um, the Again, because we don't have a ton of time, I feel like, devoted to it or, or enough time, um, the ending to it where she gets angry with him could have been written better, um, but it wasn't yeah. terrible. Sarah, Sarah Brightman was blind mag. Um, and she's interesting. Uh, she's not an actor. This was her first film. She's a, a singer and got an amazing voice. Um, I thought she was oh, actually yeah. pretty good. I, I yeah. enjoyed her. I was surprised she didn't have more stuff after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was too. When I went and looked, um, I couldn't believe that this was like basically what she's done. Uh, obviously a lot of stage probably, but, um, I will admit that I was, uh, it took me a while to figure out that it was Paris Hilton as, uh, as the character of Amber, but she wasn't bad in this movie. Now you're right. She is kind of playing herself, but she's playing that role really well. Um, she had a lot of faith in the project. Yeah. What dread? She, she was in the movie house of wax remake. I love that movie. Mm hmm. So, yeah. I haven't seen that, but I've seen like her death in that. Yeah, she's good in it. I was surprised back then, and then still that. Somehow she won a Razzie for this performance, and I don't understand that because even if you don't like the performance, she's not in the movie long enough to to win any kind of an award, good or bad. But I certainly wouldn't call her performance bad. No, she's fine. Was, yeah, she's she did lose playing her the character. She's playing the character. <laughs> that was one of the more interesting things in the movie was that that ending where her face is falling off. Um, yeah. Because why was her face? <laughs> well, why was her facial uh, like reconstruction surgery so different from her brother's? Because her brother looked like he was the inspiration for that run of DC Comics where the Joker cut his own face off and then stapled it back on. Uh, but yeah. she looked just normal. It's weirdly oh, guess, inconsistent there. I'm going to guess they, that she had had that trouble and they were going to fix it, but then they didn't have time to fix it before the opera. Yeah. So she oh, had well, to yeah. do like a quick Same. fix thingy and that turned it bad. It didn't seal properly. Well, she got yeah, one I, last surgery just before the mm-hmm. the uh, show. I mean, that's why she showed up to Grave Robber to get the Zytrate. Yeah, and even though true. he says don't get cut, and she went and got cut. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I, I had no no problems with her. I just like I said, I didn't realize it was her for the first half the movie. Like it just didn't it didn't dawn on me. I think for a guy named Grave Robber, he needs to learn to say Grave. Because uh, <laughs> like being very sneaky. <laughs> like every time he said it, he was just screaming it, and I'm like, dude. <laughs> Yeah. He's supposed to be like sneaking. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the brother that was wearing uh, someone else's face on top of his own, uh, Pavi 
is the character, and he's played by Kevin Ogilvy, also known as Ogre. Um, and like of the three siblings, he was the most annoying because for some reason he had the outrageous Italian American accent that made no sense to me when none of his siblings and or parents have that. <laughs> I'm like, why, why? But well, maybe um, he had a voice transplant of an Italian. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that's a good hey, point. He he I, may have had his vocal cords replaced with an Italian's vocal cords. Yeah, for, the, the whole world is all cosmetic surgery that you can get financed. Yep. Uh, I am and paying then, for my shit outright. Just <laughs> if you can um, and then the other the other sibling Luigi is played by Bill Mosley I love Bill Mosley because he's just nuts like, and that's his name is just... Luigi why is and he he's not a... Italian <laughs> well he's got the he's got the Italian temper right he's yeah. just quick to stab sure. anybody he doesn't that, that pisses him off oh my god um, so loud. It, it's only the... Luigi in the movie in the play it was Lucy or L-U-C-C-I uh, or something like that? Lucci. Lucci, yeah. Lucci. They changed it. They changed it for the movie. But Bill Mosley uh, is is great. He's a great Twitter follow, by the way. I, I enjoy following Bill uh, Mosley on Twitter. Um, Terrence Zadunich oh. that we mentioned is the grave robber. He's also the one that wrote most of the music uh, for this. And uh, he... So he's both a narrator and a character in the movie, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that can get a little bit confusing when he's singing as a narrator, and then all of a sudden he's in the scene, and like you said, the the yelling grave, uh, <laughs> really really loud. Like first of all, he was singing before that. How did the guys in the in the graveyard not hear him or see him? He wasn't exactly being subtle, um, but it took for him to yell grave uh, before they did anything about it. And then he grabs the body out of that to use like a battering ram. I was. It worked. <laughs> it did. <laughs> to bust was... through a, another grave marker into mm-hmm. a wall. <laughs> bodies. Into a into a tomb, like a tomb full of bodies. And bodies um, still coming down. <laughs> yeah, like an open grave. That was the but why? But it yet it was sealed on the other side. It was strange. Uh, a lot of a lot of strange things going on here. Um, and again, there's a lot of like there's a lot of exposition and world building that goes on that either is a lot to take in at once. Like I love the opening animation um, and kind of that comic book style. That was all done by Terrence uh, apparently. And uh, I thought that was cool. That's a it's a fun way to have a text opening and get a lot of your stuff across instead of just doing a scroll of text. Um, but it's a lot. It was a lot to take in before the first lines are spoken or sung in the movie. And I'm like, okay, are, okay I guess this is what I know now. I sort of. I read most of that and, and we're fine. But then... Then there's other stuff like why does Shiloh have a thing for bugs? She goes into the, her mother's tomb, yeah, and mm-hmm. is reading, but then sees a bug, so grabs her book on insects and tries to chase the thing around. For I, like, we're never really. I don't understand that, and like that was enough for her to go out, even though she knows that it's dangerous. Because the way she's talking about it's, leaving it's the tomb, just right there, I could be really quick. I could be oh, right sure. back in and. <laughs> which I immediately I was like, all right, so she's getting caught. I get it. Um, and like, obviously plot contrivance, like her dad being the repo man, but why is the repo man in the graveyard at all? What was he doing there? Cause he just happens to show up. It was stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, no, I gotta, I can't think about it that way. I just got to sit back and enjoy, um, which helped. <laughs> um, it's still, there's still stuff that just didn't make any sense to me because there's just so much packed into here. And I'm like, wow, I just need I need a break for a second and like to let the, the scenes breathe a little bit. Um, there is there is a lot and there's a lot of stuff happening in the background. There's a lot of stuff to pay attention to uh, with the newspapers, especially the ones that uh, Grave Robber always seems to have. And mm-hmm. it, it's there's a lot to it. Then it is shoving everything down your throat. So the first showing is always daunting. I'd say give it a few more shows. Just go through. That way you can soak 
all the other stuff in and get the whole story. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see it improving on another watch. Um, I just, I also wonder like if, cause part of it is that the music just didn't do anything for me on a base level, even in an operatic sense. And usually I can kind of adjust my brain to be like, okay, no, this is opera music. This isn't the same thing as like having songs, but there was something off about the music too. Like the, the lyrics, the way the lyrics would play into the song. Or... I think the main thing there is the, while I said, I like this, the music, mm-hmm. what I did here um, is that most of the songs, not all, because once um, blind mag things, that's a different song. But most of the other songs are very similar in writing and in tones. Like, it's a little bit different, but it's the same. Yeah. I don't know how to say it. If you listen it's to a band, like, it's the same. Same rhythm. And it's almost like people have their own song. Like, they'll be, she'll be singing in her own way against the conversation of somebody else. Yes. And I kind of like that. It's, it's like That's... it's like a personality shining through with the, you know, the conversation. It was very different. Which That's is, why it takes a couple of watchings so that you yeah. can pay attention to each one separately, which isn't but, me. I will agree. Well, and here's my problem with that is I've, I have uh, experienced songs like that in musicals before, uh, in stage plays, where you've got, you've got two people and they're doing roughly the same rhythm, but they're in different melodies and they're singing two parts uh, against each other. That's fine. But in those cases, we've had some form of dialogue or exposition between before and or after that song so that what's going on during the song has some better context and makes more sense. This is all of that background and all of that built into the singing and it's, it's impossible to follow. And that can be difficult uh, to, to really deal with when you've got two or in one case, I think there were three people singing. Yep. Um, and it's like there's I already it's already tough enough when you watch a movie where there's that kind of cacophony of sound of like a bunch of people talking all at once and you're trying to pick out the the dialogue. This was a thing that happened a lot. I've, I've noticed recently in movies that were uh, produced in like the 1970s. Um, I remember in uh, Jaws, I noticed this in Close Encounters. I noticed this in um, there's another one from that era. I want to say maybe French Connection. Where there's a, there'll be scenes and there'll be a ton of people talking, and you have to try and pick out the one or two voices that are actually important to what's being spoken. It reminded me of that, but in a musical form, where there's two or three people singing at the same time, and I'm like, well, I can't follow both of these melodies at once. Like my brain just doesn't do that. So if I have dialogue beforehand and then that goes on, it's easier for me to pick that up and parse that. When I don't have that, it's it's tougher. It's interesting. But it's tougher to follow, and so it can kind of take me out of a, a moment. Um, yeah, which is a very good nitpick of this movie. Yeah, I, mean, I would help if they added if they added more dialogue, but that isn't sung because I felt similar. I think to Travis in the sense that after a while, my brain was like, "It keeps going." <laughs> And you're in that song thing and you keep hearing and listening and it's like, I need a break. And I felt the opposite way. I felt (laughs) the opposite to you because I felt like the reason I don't like musicals is because it's like, we're talking, we're like a normal movie. And now we're singing a song. Like, shut up. I, I, there was just something about this that lulled me into like, you just sang the whole time and now I'm numb to it. Like now I don't even realize you're singing half of the movie. Well, none so, was like, a good word for, for my brain. It was nice. <laughs> I'm I'm with dread. Numb is a good word for that because you do sort of. And my problem is, is that at that point, then it's hard for me to then absorb the story that's being told to me. So I might miss something. And I don't mind a movie that I that you watch more than once um, to fully appreciate it. But I feel like you should be able to watch a movie one time, like. I am a fan of Terry Gilliam films and his films are notoriously dense and difficult to understand. Brazil being one. Um, you know, I, I joked the first time I saw um, his movie, the brothers Grimm with um, Matt Damon and uh, um, 
what's his name? Uh, anyway, the first time I saw that, I was like, wow, a Terry Gilliam movie. I completely understood the first time I watched it. Um, but even with his denser stuff, like I could still take most of it away from a first watch. This, I just felt like, I felt like I would have to trudge through a second watching. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, it probably wouldn't be that probably wouldn't be as bad as I'm thinking, but it's just one of those where it's like, I want it to be more accessible on that first go round. If that makes sense. No, that, that's fair. I, that again, that is the Heath Ledger, hardest part. <laughs> well, like, isn't that the whole thing with liking a movie and not liking a movie? If you don't like it, you're not going to want to trudge through it again to, to watch it the second time. So that's a, it's a hard thing. Like there are oh, some sure. movies that I will never want to force myself through again because mm-hmm. it just wasn't, you know, fun, but well, and, and other movies and, I've seen a million times for no reason whatsoever. Like, <laughs> And I think that's part of this is there is enough of this movie on its own merits that I enjoy that I would watch it again. Would I, I wouldn't necessarily be like, well, I'm just, you know, it's going to become a normal rotation for me to just sit down and watch. But if I got a group of friends that want to watch something, this is a movie that I would not uh, say no to. So it's got that going for it. Mostly again, on the strength of Anthony head, um, you hear that Paul thing? Sorvino. <laughs> oh, movie I'm not night. Force him. <laughs> movie but... night. Not so soon. I I won't punish him. Once a year. <laughs> but I just I feel like my first watching of it, I didn't enjoy it as much as I kind of had hoped that I would. Maybe. Like I didn't really have any expectations going into this. All I knew was that it was a uh, a horror opera, um, and I'm I'm a I like rock operas. I think they're a cool idea. Um, but it felt like I felt like when I got done with it that I was going to enjoy it more than I did. So it's, it's one of those where I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And I probably should have stopped there. Um, but instead I did what I do, which is to dive in a little more and research things a little bit more. And I found that I, I don't know that I'm a big, uh, a very big fan of Terrence Zadunich um, moving forward. Uh, it seems a little problematic with some of uh some of the interviews that I listened to and, and watched at like yeah, him as a person. Yeah. I, I, especially because of him talking about the deleted scene from this movie constantly. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Apparently Which, there's it, a, it's, it's deleted, but there is a clip of it. If you pay attention, there's a deleted song scene in this movie with him and Paris Hilton, um, where her character is coming to him for more of the drug and the song goes back and forth and it gets very sexual in nature and he will apparently talk about that at any uh q a at length whether people bring it up or not um and there's some other things that are kind of hearsay and a little uh there's a there's a tumblr blog that uh, was linked to um that i read a little bit of and i was like nope we're done we're done reading that i don't need any more um look i don't know him i know him from this and that's it so he just seems like he's maybe a little bit of that edgy, like I want to be edgy for the sake of being edgy type of person, which I honestly have get exhausted by. Um, and if that's the case, you know, it's the case, but he also works with people uh, and gets people on his movies that like Bill Mosley that I do like and who by all accounts I've heard uh, Bill Mosley is great. Um, there was also a, a clip I saw of um, the director, uh, who Darren Lynn Bousman, who had directed um, Saw Two, II, Saw Three, and Saw Four before doing this movie, and went on to direct Devil's Carnival and the sequel and uh, Spiral, which came out last year. Did Did any of you see Spiral? Yeah. Was that's it any good? One, right? Yeah, this is a Saw one. Uh. I heard Wait, it wasn't. Yeah. It's Wait, did I watch Jigsaw or did I watch Spiral? Now I can't remember. You would know if you watched Spiral because they changed the voice of the tapes, which is annoying know. as... Mm. No, that's like the last one I watched iconic to that series. And, that and if you change that, that's like, no. As a movie, it was fine. But as a Saw movie, nah. Um, But I saw him. Uh, it, was, it was him at uh, an event of some kind talking about 
um, on stage and in front of the crowd talking about the crush he had on one of the actresses that was in it and going on and on about how he kept emailing her over and over. Um, and even after she was like, dude, leave me alone. And he just kept at it and kept at it to get her into a movie or something. And it, it was just one of those things where I was like, I feel kind of, feels kind of icky. Mm-hmm. Like completely. And, and I get the same feel from some of the interviews with, uh, Zdunich where he, it seems like he's very cognizant of the fact that a lot of his fan base are, uh, younger goth, um, girls. And he's very keen on that uh, to to use it to his advantage. Not not something super great. Um, I did, however, one of the uh, Q and A panels was for um, the third uh, or the second um, Devil's Carnival movie, and Barry Bostwick was in that as a character. Huh. And it was a it was a Q and A with uh, Terrence Zadunich. Um, I can't remember the woman's name and Barry Bostwick. And Bostwick had one of the best, like, uh, Terry, Terrence says something about, like, you know, I don't know if they're, you know, something that maybe I, I could try doing for the first time or whatever. And Bostwick goes, uh, I don't know, write a hit song. <laughs> <laughs> but he also, he, he then got very self-deprecating. He's like, because apparently Barry Bostwick had auditioned for the role of Repo Man in this movie and got turned down. <laughs> and so he's like, I'm, I'm just kind of a bitter old man now. So whatever. But I was like, oh, Barry Bostwick is great. And and honestly, I could have seen him playing this character yeah. after reading that. And I think it would have been pretty good. Uh, it's hard to, to separate Anthony Head from it now just because like seeing Giles as the repo man and how great he is at singing is awesome. But man, Barry Bostwick is is great. And so I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that, you know, sometimes – I hate the fact that I dive <laughs> deeper into some of these movies. It's like, oh, I wanted to like this more, and now, now I'm not sure I should. And it's, well, I, you know, it's it's separation of the the artist and the art. Yep, it That's is good it, thing to uh, be able to do. It is, and sometimes it's easier than others, and sometimes it's it's kind of one of those where it's like, okay, I can separate art and artist, but also like the art gave the artist the platform to do the shitty things that he's doing. And that's tough to reconcile sometimes. Yeah. But you also have to look at what the, what the shitty thing is. Like, did they actually do a thing or are they just being creepy? Cause them being creepy isn't like, that's not enough to convict them of a, of a crime. You know what I mean? No, no, not at all. Not, it's not gross at all. to be creepy, but like, it's not like some of the people who have been like thrown in jail or actually convicted of, really really heinous things those people i can't like i there are some people i just can't watch in a movie anymore oh for sure and and i certainly have that same i mean that same thing i've told the story before about uh the band lost prophets um put out a couple songs and a couple albums in the late 90s early 2000s i really liked then i found out that their lead singer ian watkins not only was he charged with but convicted and sent to prison for sexual assault of a one-year-old two-year-old and i was like well i will never listen to a lost prophet song again because i can't i just can't do it like that's yeah but the question is what where where is the line for you in terms of like separate art from artists but also um like like how far can you go right does it have to be somebody that's convicted and sent to jail for something or can it be like and it's it's obviously going to be different for everybody it's going to be a personal thing it was just one of those where as I read more about this guy who seems very affable and very very friendly in a lot of his interviews too. Um, but then it was a lot of there was a lot of comments made where I was just like that's kind of icky and maybe maybe not not great, but who knows. It it's tough. It, it's always hard. But it, it, on its own this movie wasn't bad. I just feel like it's that thing and it was this this feeling I had before I read any of the the stuff about um, mm-hmm. the creator was like it's that feeling that I had that it was just trying to be the cult classic instead of just being a cult classic. And it's hard. That's such a hard distinction to make, right? Because like w- that's going to feel different for everybody too. I think um, 
what becomes because you can't really set out to make a cult classic. That's part of why stuff like Sharknado always bugs me. Hey, careful now. Because there's one, it's one thing to make a cheese ball movie, but in an earnest capacity. We've talked. I've talked about that on Gore a few times with some of the the cheesy ones that we've watched, where it's like, yeah, they're trying to like they they genuinely are having fun, but they're also wanting to make something, and it's just not the like the execution isn't quite there. But when you from conception try to make something that is going to be a cult classic, that doesn't always work for me. I say that, and then I was like, I watched Velocipaster, and I got exactly what they were going for, which is we've got 50 bucks and a camera. We're going to make a movie. Um, so it's tough. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I don't know how to reconcile that in my brain. But So, so it's not a Kung Fury? <laughs> a what? I mean, Kung, Kung Fury is, an, uh, is a good example of that, um, where they set out to make that thing that's a short um we'll have to show you that monica if you haven't seen it <laughs> okay because... i was gonna say i'm like what am i missing yeah um awesomeness is what you're missing <laughs> you've <laughs> seen the gifts of some of the things have i hacker man i'm sure <laughs> if you've seen hacker man you've seen a, a an image from that movie at least um but no i it's it's just one of those where I don't think this is a this isn't a bad movie, but I wouldn't call it great either. It, it exists. I think that it has a, a good place to be. I, I understand the fan base behind it. Um, the funny thing, by the way, that I mentioned about the repo uh, genetic opera versus repo men, and how there was no real cross uh, anywhere there, and there wasn't like. Apparently, it was the fan bases that were that would got up in arms. Like the fans of Repo, the genetic opera, were complaining of plagiarism that that Repo men stole the idea, and Zadunich and uh, and the the people behind both movies were like, "Nah, nah, we're we're fine. That movie exists and it's fine to exist." And like they sat down and had dinner together and like hashed it all out. And I thought that was kind of that was kind of cool because the. You know, you don't have uh, a director or a writer being like, you stole my idea. No, we really didn't. I mean, we stole the idea in much of like repossessing organs. And that's where the similarities end. So who hasn't seen Velocipaster at this point, says Tondagasa. Um, Everyone well, should. A lot of people. <laughs> oh, well, we'll no. do an episode on that. <laughs> no, no. I had to watch that. No. It's it's not good. I will say that. It, it, I will it go isn't. as far as to say it was bad. Like it is bad. It's not even a movie. Huh? I mean, if it's uh-huh. worse than Tammy and the Gator or whatever that movie was, Tammy and the T Rex. I'll a... watch that before I'd watch Velocipaster again. Listen, Velocipaster is as much a movie as Sky Sharks is. Okay. Uh, no, come on. Excuse me. Sky Sharks uh, had some budget. There was <laughs> money in Sky like Sharks. You write back technical difficulties right now, and then you come back with a black eye and stuff. And... It's like a little dread holding holding scissors and a cord. <laughs> like... <laughs> Look, I, somebody had to get the dig in about Sky Sharks. It was going to be me this time around. All right, all right. And he hasn't even no, seen the movie. I. Yeah, yeah. I and 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 I'm all for like trying something new, um, which is what this was. And I, I kind of like when stage plays get adapted and turned into stuff. It's just for me in terms of musicals or operas, I, I'm going to lump those together. Uh, this doesn't sit real high for me, um, but it's just something with the music just didn't didn't do it. Um, I wish I could put my finger on exactly what it was about that like even a a line like there's the line in his song in the graveyard where he says um i rob was it rob and steal or steal and rob uh and it was the um like the way it was phrased i'm just i'm like okay what are we doing are we robbing stuff or are we stealing it um i was very confused and then 
<laughs> and then again, when I watched that breakdown, that was part of it that uh, that she focused on in the video was like comparing that to another song and how it can work one way and maybe not work in another way. So maybe that's why I, it keeps rolling around in my head. I don't know. Well, I'm um, going to say it's like I said, that the music is too like this on the line and there's not enough eye points. How do you say that? Very, you know? Variation. If you're thinking about music and songs you like, you'll know that you have the chorus that changes up things and that yeah. pulls you in. And that's the thing you'll like and you'll remember. And in this, there was not a lot of songs that had that. It was very stale in a way. And I, that sounds worse than I mean it. Once again, stale. I like the music. Even no, Shiloh's, but you know. Even Shiloh's song to her dad. I'm 17. You can't control no, me. That was a, <laughs> as I said. That was one of the songs that changed things up. And similar with the opera itself, um, Blind Mag song, which mm -hmm. was completely different. And obviously, she can sing <laughs> even better than the other ones. I mean, come on. I think uh, that's the rest of the songs. Like as I said, the Grave Robber song, his his things, all his songs was the same song well, basically. It's yeah, his, his his was you know which is how it was set up. Yeah, I mean his are more exposition, and that's yeah. how they set that up. I mean, but, but yes, wanting more year. from it, wanting more from it, I agree. Yep, that's and but, I think that's what Travis means when he's like, it didn't grab me. I think that's I th the main reason. I, I think you're right there because it is very uh, very monotonous in the, in the musical style with the exception of the I'm 17 and the opera. But I think about musicals that I really enjoy, like Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny is a good example for me, where the songs in that vary so much from song to song. You know, you've got the Sasquatch song that's very much like a, like a 70s. Uh, it's like a, it's, it's like a psychedelic song. You've got, you know, kind of a, uh, the more rockin' songs. It's just different. There's variation to what they're doing. There's stuff that's acoustic, and more ballady and songs that are like telling a story versus a song that's just kind of a pop song almost. Um, again, and in the apocalypse had that where they had the different songs um, throughout the movie that had different feels to them, depending on the scene um, or who was singing them. And I, that's what I look for when I'm, when I'm watching a musical, especially because there, there's just the, that variation and that keeps your interest. And this did get stale for me. I think that's a good way to put it, Dredd, is that's I got right. bored with the music. And when that's no, an music. opera. But when it's an opera, you shouldn't get bored with the music because that's what it is. You're going to have that throughout the whole thing. Like, everybody's singing everything all the time. And, and like, I know Bill Mosley can sing because he's put out albums. He's put out music albums. But he didn't do himself any favors in this movie to me. And I love Bill Mosley. No. Yeah, his character didn't really get much singing. Just, just the uh, basically the just fight, yelling. the the, yeah. the verbal fight between the three of them. Yeah. Uh, I'm was always get three of them, basically. Yeah. Um, I also, like I say, I just wanted more of the Nathan character because, okay, so that plot to me is the most interesting of the movie, in that you've got this guy who loses his wife and so he wants to protect his daughter at all costs, right? Because he can't stand to lose her. And because of what happened and the convoluted nature of how that all went down, he ends up getting roped into being the repo man for this big, uh, Genco or Genco. Okay. I get that. That all makes sense. Then you have this reveal at the end. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. That, Shiloh's blood disease that is the reason that she can't ever go out and he doesn't want her leaving the house and all of that is something he did to her. He is giving her medicine, which is poisoning her and keeping her bedridden and keeping her sick. That 100% hurt my view of him as a character. And now on rewatches, I'm going to have that in my head and I don't like that for that character because it, it undermines everything we've seen up until that point. He then goes from being a sympathetic character who's doing some bad stuff because he's forced into it as the repo man 
And there's sort of, there's a little bit of like, I, I do enjoy doing this type of work, but I don't because I'm forced into it type of thing. And I'm just trying to take care of my daughter. But then this gets revealed and it's like, oh, but you're also just a bad dude that's treating his daughter like crap. Cool. All right. Well, that, that hurts that characterization quite a bit because he becomes a villain at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, then I have no sympathy when he gets shot and dies. Like I just, it didn't, I didn't feel anything at that point. It's, it's hard to call him a villain. I think it's just more like a very complex character. Like not everybody is good or bad. He is good and he's doing it for a reason that he thinks is right, but it's not the right thing. Right. So but like, like I can most, still, I can still enjoy the character. Most um, villains think they're in the right, but he's literally poisoning his daughter in order to keep her safe. Yeah, yeah, I watched the movie too. Like, I'm just saying, like, like I don't see it the same way. Well, I, then we'll disagree then, because I, he well, turned yeah, into a I'm villain. I'm just he giving turned into a villain to for me at that point, because that's a that's just like you don't need that. That's pointless. That's useless to do to that character. Well, I'm, like I said, like human beings aren't like that. They're not just good or bad. They have, you know, complex sides and things like that. That's sure. why I saw it as. Like, he was forced into this life, like, that, you know, it killed his love, and he had to protect his daughter at all costs. The world is, like, this crazy, disgusting place, and he, you know, he did things that he's not proud of. Well, so, she was the villain from the beginning. I mean, giving yeah. a crappy wig like that to his daughter. <laughs> yeah. That was something I, I noticed actually in her first scene when she's creeping into her mom's tomb. I'm like, that's a wig for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She, readjust, she readjusts it when she takes off the mask. Yeah. Which, what was the point of the gas mask if she's not going to keep wearing it outside? I'm going to wear it from point A to point B and then I'm just not going to. It's a fashion statement. I don't know. She was wearing it, it was. when she was outside of a building walking between a hidden tunnel. When she when she closed the door to the outside is when she took it off again. But yes, that that building's not sealed. What it's not, and then she goes point? outside without it on anyway. So yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't doing anything to begin with for her. So because <laughs> there was really nothing actually wrong with her other than the poisoning. Yeah, it was just a matter of time before she had to take her medicine again. Yeah, her medicine. <laughs> her medicine, which apparently were mints that they had her take. Um, but also, like, the nature of, you know, nameless blood disease uh, that's affecting her. But it makes her pass out if she doesn't take her medicine. Like, that was a weird one for me. I just didn't understand. Because they never because they never give you any kind of an explanation for it or, or anything. Other really. that, it's just and that her you mother have a had blood it disease. and it passed through gen- genetics. Yeah. She yep, probably exactly. smelt her own bad breath. And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, for all my complaining about stuff, there is, there, there are things about this that were cool. I loved the, um, the I'm 17 song, just that punk Mm -hmm. rock attitude and Joan Jett. And I think part of it is going along with Dread said, where it changed up the style. It was something different. Um, the visuals on it are like the costuming and just the, the style. They had a distinct style throughout the whole thing. Um, I love the costume of the repo man. I thought that was really cool looking. Although the poster showing him covered in it being red, but it doesn't look like it's covered in blood. It's just red with the way that the coloring, like the way the lighting is. It threw me that it was black throughout the movie. True. Instead of, but you know, that's a that's a minor 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 thing. Like the look of it is really cool and how it lights up inside the mask, so he can the see. Eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I thought that the uh, the opera at the end was really cool. Um, uh, yeah, just think about being in that show. audience. That just, audience was just, very uh, calm like, about everything that was going on 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 stage. It was a show. They thought it was part of the play. Yeah, they <laughs> thought it was part of the show. Especially when he comes out and says, don't worry, folks, that's just part of the show. Just hang on and we'll get to the next act. Mm-hmm. That yeah. scene was cool, though. I saw it coming when, when they showed her fingers having the long, long yeah. nail thing. Oh, yeah. But the way she you said it and looked at him and it's just like, wee. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, then like he that. takes his cane sword and slices her down. 
Yeah, and then <laughs> I was sad because she was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was that was great. a really well done scene. Um, the song that I wanted to like the most was the where they where they're getting Nathan to they're telling him oh, he yeah. has to take the job and they take him into the room with random dude and tied to a chair that he's got to do something oh, yeah. to. Um, I wanted to like that song a lot more, but that one got to a point of like, all right, there's just too much. We have like four different melodies trying to compete at the same time. And, I and it's gone no on clue. for far too long. <laughs> that was the thing. Like it's one thing if you have that for a short period of time, but it just kept going. I'm like, I I shouldn't look at the time while I'm watching a movie. And I was at that point. I'm like, all right, this song can be done. And it started off so great because again, it's, it's Anthony head and he really, he gets to take center stage in that song and he, he's just good. But yeah. I, well, that's when the point where maybe having an actual band or real in quotes, composer helping out would probably make that way better. That's one thing making music, writing music, but knowing what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And I think well, it's the what not to do part. Sometimes. It, it, it gets better with Dev, with Devil's Carnival. Well, yeah. He learned probably from it. and, and No, he good. actually had actual help from a composer. Or, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that certainly can help. You get somebody who really knows how to write music for the medium that you're doing it in um, I think makes a difference, but all in all, like I certainly don't mourn the time that I, that I spent watching the movie. Um, like I say, I liked it. I just didn't love it. Like I thought that I might, I kind of, it felt like this was going to be kind of right up my alley. And instead what I ended up with was like, eh, but I could just use that same hour and a half and watch Rocky horror picture show again. <laughs> and I enjoy that much more. Um, so, you know, that Fair. that's me, but I'm I'm glad that on the whole, on the balance, we all liked it this week. Yes. We don't have that's and I introduced the movie that you all enjoyed. <laughs> I'm I was really surprised. Mm-hmm. Not that you introduced a movie, but you know, that I actually liked the musical. <laughs> but a good movie. <laughs> um oh, I don't Rocky. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, so I like that one too, but it's very few and far between. There. Yeah, and I don't have any audio clips this week because it's all music and there's not a lot to like clip out that would work out of context to listen to. Um, so there just was nothing to clip. So no no audio clips for this week. However, I think next week's movie is going to have a few audio clips. Um, oh, yeah. Because next week, next week we are diving into uh, the world of John Carpenter and Prince of Darkness. Now... Real quick, going around the room, uh, Monica. I think you are the only one who hasn't seen this before, right? Yes. Okay. I see. The rest it of us for the show. The rest of us have seen it. Um, I can't wait to talk about this one because I'm. I love John Carpenter stuff, and I feel like this is a underappreciated movie of his. Yeah, it, it. Other ones take a brighter shine than this one, which kind of sad. And it yeah. fits into his. Um, apocalypse trilogy his thematic trilogy which we will definitely talk about uh next week for sure so that's what's coming up next week and that'll that'll round out our four episodes uh, of gore takeover for spooky Month. and uh this has been so much fun for the last three weeks and i'm looking forward to next week as well now monica the four of us do a show together called gore let people know where that can be found and what what's it about first of all what do we talk about well, Gore is a horror podcast that we specifically talk about horror movies, but also horror uh, books and games and shows that we watch, but focus on one specific horror movie. And you can find that at anchor.fm slash gore podcast. Oh, the episode we just released. I'm sorry. The episode we just released is on the stuff. Yes. This was fun. Can't Which is... Yeah, it's a, it's a horror movie in the loose concept of horror movies, but uh, it, it is. And that was one that I had a lot more fun with than I thought I would. So that's a that was a good conversation. Definitely check that out. Uh, it's the blob, but edible. <laughs> it's the incredible edible blob. Well, I feel you can eat the blob as well. 
But would you? You have to be fast before it eats you. Yeah. I was going to say, didn't the blob kind of eat and dissolve you as soon as it touched you? Ah, uh, well, you know, your stomach <laughs> can handle a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but what about your throat? <laughs> yeah, it's got to get to the stomach first. <laughs> um, if you enjoy this show and you want to hear it recorded live, watch the live stream, you can do that on Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Uh, and then it comes out as a podcast anywhere you get your podcasts on Wednesdays. Uh, or at tvstravis.com. You can go to the subscribe page uh, and get it on any platform that you want. Um, there is also a Patreon for this show now. You can do for as little as a dollar an episode, you can support the show. That's patreon.com slash W-Y-H-S. Because I just did not want to spell out weight you haven't seen. That was too much. So, uh, yeah. Um, until next week, Monica, Dredd, Faye, thanks for being here. Anytime. Thanks for inviting me. It came with the frame. <laughs> yeah. It would be weird to have the Dreadlord there and not me. That like, yeah. It would be a little weird, wouldn't it? So until next week and Prince of Darkness, remember to enjoy your movies. Uh, this has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Be excellent to each other. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>